0: This woman came to us really, really early. I think it was two thousand and eleven. She just popped up in the middle of nowhere. She was doing her own cookbook. She was it, it was on um, different hosp- you know, cafes and restaurants that were on, you know, kind of in inner Melbourne. It was called Flavours of Melbourne, and and she saw our little food cart at Federation Square. And she said, I'd really like to feature you guys in there and put just a little forward to you, you know, and telling people about who you are. So even though her cookbook was featuring all these really high-end restaurants and cafes, she put this story about us in, in that cookbook and then did a fundraiser for us at the launch of that cookbook. And that fundraiser raised uh, $4,000 dollars. So at the end of it, she came to me and said, I've got $4,000 for you. You know, it'd be fantastic if, if we could make that money stretch even further. Imagine if we worked with you now to make your own cookbook, because then if you made your own cookbook, we could turn that 4000 into, you know, lots more than, than that. It was tens and tens of thousands of rolls to, to print it. So, so oh, right. it, yeah, so, so the $4,000 in, in, you know, it, in producing a cookbook got, doesn't go very far. You know, it's a really expensive process. So, so yes, she, she was going to use it for, you know, she was going to use it for, you know, against the printing costs, but we still had to come up with, yeah, tens of thousands of dollars, which we just didn't have.
1: For most of us, the idea of turning $4,000 into tens of thousands of dollars in the space of a few months sounds pretty impossible. But when you're on a mission like Beck Scott was, what's possible doesn't really come into play. Today, the story of how Beck and her team turned that $4,000 into not 10 not 20 but $80,000. And how they created one of Australia's most loved cafes in the process. I'm Prashant Paramnalathan. This is our first podcast at Chuff.org. Stay tuned. So it's the early 2000s. And Beck Scott finds herself in Hanoi, Vietnam. She sat down at a cafe and ordered a quintessential Vietnamese dish: rice paper rolls with tamarind sauce. As she waited for her rice paper rolls to come out, she noticed a postcard on a table about the cafe. Now most cafes have find creative ways of describing themselves, but this one used a phrase that Beck hadn't really come across before. Now remember this is early 2000s. The cafe described itself as a social enterprise, working with homeless young people. The next time the waiter came by, Beck struck up a conversation. The cafe she was in was called Koto, an acronym for No One Teach One, and was founded by a Vietnamese-Australian, Jimmy Fan. Jimmy grew up in Australia, but returned to his native Vietnam for the first time as a 24-year-old. He was struck by the thousands of street kids, as many kids are. Uh, they'll call the dust of life in Vietnamese. And like many of us, he wanted to do something to help. And instead of building an orphanage or starting a charity, Jimmy did something else. He asked the kids what they wanted out of life. Their reply? We need skills so we can find stable jobs. So Jimmy started up what ended up as KOTO, a hospitality training program housed inside a cafe restaurant where street kids could get trained in hospitality skills work in the cafe and eventually graduate into a hospitality career as beck was eating her rice paper rolls the power of the model struck her her roles were training up a street kid and getting them out of poverty in 2004 beck spent two years volunteering at that cafe in vietnam Koto, with her partner kate burrell and then in 2009, Beck and Kate landed back in Melbourne, took what they had learned from Kodo, merged it with their love of Southeast Asian hawker food, and started street. It was humble beginnings back then. They had two little coffee carts in Melbourne's Federation Square. Actually, maybe little is the wrong word to use.
2: We had coffee carts so Big stainless steel barbecues, basically, that were supposed to be mobile but would take four guys or a truck to really shift.
1: That's Ian, who runs Street's marketing team. So two big coffee carts, plonked out in the middle of an open square, in the sun, in the rain, fun times. After six months of that, a property group, GPT, offered Street an indoor location for another cart in Melbourne Central. And they jumped at it. It was 2011, and Street was hitting a growth spurt. And then in 2012, Street doubled in size, almost overnight. In one of Australia's first social enterprise on social enterprise acquisition, Street bought two cafes and a roasting company. But that was just the start of it.
0: Um, We, at that stage, had just moved beyond having two little food carts, and we'd just done an acquisition of of a couple of... um, of a couple of bigger businesses, but we were still quite fledgling, um, and we knew that w- we knew that we wanted to grow some more. Um, and we had essentially one of our landlords at one of our sites come and say to us, "You've been here on month-to-month lease for you know since 2010. Please, you know, we'd love you to sign up to a five-year five-year lease." Um, but we just had no cash in the bank. You know, we've never had any cash in the bank since we started, and, and so it wasn't like we could just go, right, well, you know, we need a couple hundred thousand dollars, we just redevelop a site. We knew that we are going to need, you know, some extra money to be able to make that possible.
1: The landlord that Beck's talking about was the same one that got them out of the sun and the rain at Federation Square. Their indoor cart at Melbourne Central had gone really well. Their landlord was happy and wanted them to upgrade. Instead of renting a space for their temporary cut, why do not they sign up for a five-year lease and build a cafe? So it's now early 2012. They want to start up this new cafe. They want to publish a cookbook. They're both really expensive, and they've got four grand to do both of them. You know that point in the story where someone makes an offhand comment that changes pretty much everything that happens after? Well, that happened. One of Street's early investors, Danny Almagall, floated the idea of Trying crowdfunding, and
0: I think he said it kind of as a throwaway line, uh, and said, "Oh, well, if you decide to do one, you know, we'll we'll chip in a little bit." And I'd never really considered it before then, but it made sense. It felt like we'd, you know, we'd written a lot of grant applications, and and it wasn't, you know, wasn't like there felt like there was new grant money available. But the other thing is as well is that. You know, to get grant money takes—it's a long lead time normally. You know, you, we can wait up to, you know, six or nine months before you know submitting a grant application and then knowing at the other end if you've got the money. So, so we just didn't have the lead time on some of that stuff that that we wanted. So, yeah, we just started to think really creatively, and the more I thought about it, it just kind of made sense.
2: And Rebecca and I had a look and thought. Okay, maybe we could do something and try and raise five or ten thousand. Then I looked at it and I thought, wow, there's a lot of work in that. You know, you really have to run the campaign actively, day in, day out, you know, for the campaign period. And I said to her, look, if we're gonna do this, I'm gonna I'm not gonna do it unless we're trying to raise twenty or forty grand or something like that. So they had a target. Now they just needed a campaign for it.
1: Should they go for funding for the cookbook or should they try and fund the cafe? Beck and Ian's approach was, of course, I wonder if we could do both.
2: I came up with this campaign of basically, how do we turn a cookbook into a cafe? And that was essentially the one-liner that um, you know, captures our crowdf- crowdfunding campaign. How do we turn this cookbook into a cafe? At that stage, we didn't have a cookbook, nor, nor did we sort of have a cafe.
1: The idea was pretty simple. Sell the cookbooks on a crowdfunding campaign and use the proceeds to fund the cafe. That way they get a cookbook and they get a cafe. It was their first campaign and they weren't going to leave anything to chance. Forty thousand dollars is a big target, and at the time they were running an all or nothing campaign, so if they didn't hit that forty thousand, they'd get nothing. So instead of waiting until the campaign started, he did something that at first seems a little bit sneaky, but actually
2: is really smart. You know, I wasn't gonna do it unless I knew I was really gonna to get to the forty thousand. So I pre-sold um, <clears throat> seven or eight hundred cookbooks to a number of corporates to underwrite the campaign. Basically, I had twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars worth of orders of cookbooks that I could feed into the crowdfunding campaign to make sure we got to our forty thousand target. What,
1: what did that conversation go like?
2: The conversation with the corporates. Yeah. Um, it's like selling something you don't have, you know, so imagine this is a cookbook in my hand, Prashant, you know, and your Chuffed logo is going to be on the front and your page about chuff's is going to be on the inside and it'll have Poe and it'll have recipes from our students and, but essentially I'll, I had a few PDF pictures of some recipes, but that's about all.
1: The cookbooks that Ian was pre-selling weren't just ordinary copies that you get off the shelf. Ian had a
2: very specific use in mind. I designed them straight off as a corporate gift. So they were a corporate Christmas gift. So if you're Westpac or Red Cat or Small Giants or GPT, it was the perfect Christmas gift. They are actually real partners with Street. So then it's it's very easy for them and and um, you know it's it's uh, very correct and true for them to give that book to one of their staff, customers, clients, and say, well, we support Street and he's our Christmas gift to you.
1: With 20 to 25 grand under the belt, the task seemed more manageable, but Street had one more trick up their sleeve. During the conversations with their landlord, GPT, the one that was trying to encourage them to sign up for that five-year lease, Beck had managed to negotiate a little sweetener. I asked Beck to describe what that meeting was like.
0: So what we were doing is sitting down as two partners rather than sitting down as just a landlord and a tenant they were wanting to make the, the relationship deeper because they already knew that we were adding a huge amount of value to their business so so we could have the conversation and saying well what else are we bringing to the relationship this is not just a you know, this is not just a, a lease agreement what is it? you know if you're asking us to to become you know to, to sign up for five years here what are what are we doing together
1: GPT's response, you know that crowdfunding campaign you're running? If you hit your $40,000 target, we'll give you another 40000 That's 80000 Enough to get at their cafe. Now all they needed to do was sell enough cookbooks. Now, we've run thousands of campaigns on chuff.org, and $40,000 is a big target in Australia. And you go back a few years when crowdfunding wasn't really a thing, and $40,000 in social cause land was unheard of. Plus, Street were running an all-or-nothing campaign, which meant if they didn't hit their $40,000 target, they get nothing. No money, no cookbook, no cafe. So they originally had the idea for the campaign in mid-2012. They spent all of July and August getting all the recipes and the photos and creating the cookbook. And on 30th of August 2012, they switched on their campaign. I Beck what that day one was like.
0: Yeah, it was quite nerve-wracking, actually, because, you know, we'd gone, we decided to, get, to go for a three-month campaign, and, and that's a long time. Like, that's a really, really long amount of time to sustain, you know, a, a sense of immediacy and urgency, and what we knew is that you don't just kind of launch and then... And then kind of cross your fingers that you've really... You've got to be feeding the campaign. You've got to give it content. You've got to be saying, you know, thank you to people. You, you know, you've got to keep a momentum. And that momentum, you know, it's easy to kind of watch a campaign and assume that somehow it just starts fueling itself along the way. But you've got to keep, you know, you've got to keep fueling that fire as well. So I remember the amount of work that we were doing, you know, on social media and things just to, to keep it going. I remember having a shot at trying to get some, you know, celebrities involved by, you know, tweeting them and and saying, hey, such and such, you know, have you heard about this? Can you retweet it? But, but, you know, that we didn't get any of those celebrity endorsement stuff. I think at the time, from memory, you know, I even tried some I think actually Kevin Rudd was, you know, was really big and, you know, being the social media hussy that he always was. (laughs) So we're like, oh, imagine if we could get, you know, Kevin Rudd to support it. But, you know, that never materialized. So, you know, we certainly wouldn't have built a campaign around, you know, the hope of that. (laughs) Even though we still, you know, we were holding out right to the end thinking that someone might, you know, some big celeb might get it. But, but. You know we'd done a lot of pre work to just try and make sure that it could get to that forty thousand dollars, even
1: though the social media hussies didn't get on board by the middle of the campaign, Street was doing okay, but they were by no means home.
0: I still remember being being a little you know weeks out and still thinking, "Holy crap, I hope we make it so it wasn't you know even with that pre work, it wasn't like it was. You know, we were still working hard to the end.
1: And then that magical day when they hit 40,000.
0: Oh, my God. So so it wasn't far from, from the end of the campaign. And I just remember the immense relief. Like, oh, my God, I was relieved. And I remember um, writing an email out straight away to everyone. Just everyone that we'd, you know, ever spoken to before and everyone on our database just you know, just thanking them and saying, We've done it. So it it was you know, there were a lot of um there were a lot of office high fiving. <laughs> it was yeah, it was a really good feeling. Um but then we just you know, we had to get on it and build the damn site. So it wasn't like, you know, the like the campaign had had been successful, but then all you know then all the hard work of actually building the site was starting. So it, it really was just kind of chapter one of what was going to be you know a couple of other big chapters as well
1: that campaign was now over three years ago and in many ways it set the precedent that every social enterprise crowdfunding campaign would follow it's now completely normal to use a campaign to pre-sell products to pay for your setup costs it's pretty much what every single crowdfunding campaign for social enterprises does but being at the forefront of anything is pretty tiring I was um, curious, now that it had been three years, what Beck had taken from the whole experience. Did the highs and lows of that first campaign turn off crowdfunding?
0: As the you know chief fundraiser for the organisation, I I think I've got a pretty acute understanding of how hard it is to get every dollar. And so it wasn't like we got to the end and I thought, geez, let's do heaps more of them um, because they're a lot of work. But so is selling a million coffees to to make money, you know so is writing you know masses and masses of grant applications so so my what it probably did is just give me you know in my little tool belt of understanding of how how you know different types of capital work it, it just gave me another little tool in that tool belt to understand oh so that 's kind of how that type of money kind of behaves. All the the things that you've got to do to get that, you know, to make something like that work. The other thing that was really positive, though, about it was I had, I think I had underestimated how much a crowdfunding campaign could give you visibility as an organization. So it wasn't just about the dollars that were coming in at the other end. What you were doing is you were creating a story and an energy around your organization. So... I think what I think what happened is not only did we end up at the end with a new cafe but there were a whole bunch of people who even if they didn't donate to the campaign because we got some really good media about it they saw us they heard about us you know and if you're thinking about you know the average person is probably going to need to hear you know hear about you 5 to 7 times before they actually open their wallets it's one more of those times, you know, that might be the first time they hear that, but, but they're hearing it in a way that's got lots of energy around it. So, so for me, it's about kind of getting the story really clear, but knowing that, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to see it that aren't going to support it, but, but they are just part of planting seeds. You know, all of them, all of them, you know, may over time become supporters, they're invisible now to you, but, but if you know that you've got to keep planting a lot of seeds for, you know, for any of those people to start to convert, well, then this is a really big big way you can do that. The other thing is, too, that crowdfunding does, um, what it does is it potentially by, it starts to build an, you know, a customer base that might not have been there. So in our case, you know, people had only ever had food with us. Um, they now had, you know, a, a cookbook that was going to sit on their shelves. That had, you know, all of our food's got a very short shelf life, but the thing that we were creating had a really long shelf life. So, you know, I'm interested, you know, when I go into places, you know, I've been into people's homes and seen our street cookbook on their bookshelf. That's all stuff that's just there and visible, you know. And and I think about, once again, it's just about planting seeds, you know, that that it's about creating an overall awareness of your organization and, and the campaign. A campaign can equally do that as it can, can bring about you know, some funding as well.